This is Basketball U. This is Chicago's home for sports. ESPN Chicago on FM 100.3 HD2. The ESPN Chicago app and ESPN 1000. ESPN 1000, 100.3 HD2, also on the go with the ESPN Chicago app, Tyler Aki and Shane Orling. Don't forget, you can watch the show on Twitch as well, twitch.tv slash ESPN 1000 Chicago. Talking college basketball with you every Sunday throughout the NCAA tournament. We're on 11 to 1 today. Next week is our last show, though, and we will be on a little bit early before White Sox baseball. You can catch us. From 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. right here on ESPN 1000. We'll be breaking down the Final Four and National Championship game next Sunday. So looking forward to all of that. You want to jump on into the conversation? 312-332-3776. We're going to talk with Ken Lavica, who is the voice of Florida Atlantic and also our teammate down at ESPN West Palm. That's coming up in about 13 minutes from now right here on Basketball U. But we've got another fantastic slate of games today, Shay. You're going to get it all kicked off at 120 with Creighton and San Diego State. Both of these teams making a little bit of a run here. San Diego State a five seed, Creighton a six seed, and then later on this afternoon, Miami taking on Texas in the Elite Eight. Which of these games are you looking forward to most? I think Miami-Texas is the one that I'm most intrigued by, probably because when I look at Creighton-San Diego State, and I don't know how you feel about this, I feel like Creighton is kind of built to weather the storm here. Yes, I would agree. I think that we've seen the the conference, the Big East, play up to the competition uh, for the most part in this tournament. Creighton, to me, looks like one of the best teams remaining. I think they're a better team than San Diego State. I think I get intrigued by the Miami-Texas matchup because as much as on paper and on the computer numbers, Texas is the way better team. Uh, Miami has just shown the ability with their speed, with their shooting, and through coaching. Like, they just win games they shouldn't really yes. win. Mm-hmm. Like, the Indiana game, it kind of felt like Indiana should win that game, and Miami just blitzed them with speed. I'm interested to see if Texas can handle some of that speed, because the thing about Texas, too, is they've really been dominant. And it's been kind of quiet. Yeah. Like they were the low key. Everybody picks them to win the ch- uh, title. They I don't think have they were the any flashy wins. Yeah, yeah. Like you they go just through, took care of business. But isn't that part of it? Like their yes, coach no. got fired, and mm-hmm. it didn't derail them. They had an overtime game against Rice the day Chris Beard was sent away from the program, mm-hmm. and that's as dicey as it felt like it ever got for the team. After that, it was all business. You beat Stanford, you take care of business against bad competition, you go into Big 12 play, hold your own, you hung in the top 10 in Kempom all season after starting the number 2 in Kempom to start the year, and now here you are, uh, top 5 in Kempom again, going up against Miami. It just feels like this is a team where everything has been talked about except the basketball. It's been a lot of Chris Beard talk. It's been a lot of interim coach and Rodney Terry. All he's done is put together an incredible season. I feel like Texas, everybody's talking about Miami now because they're cute and they've been on this run where they've beaten teams they shouldn't have. 
I feel like Texas is getting disrespected a little bit, or maybe not disrespected, just flying under the radar. Yeah. And that might be the best place for them to be. And honestly, it, it almost reminds me of the team that Miami lost to last year with Kansas. Like, Kansas was just sort of flying under the radar. They weren't the sexiest of all the one seeds that were in that tournament, but they just kind of took care of business. Another team out of that strong Big 12, and... They went about it, and even though Miami gave them a scare in the first half, ultimately Kansas turned the corner and beat them pretty handily in that second half. But this is a Miami team that I also would not sleep on as well. They like to get up and run. They have a super, super athletic team as well. And the one place that they can kill you is on the offensive boards. Norshed Amir, there were some questions about what his health status was going to be going into this tournament. He seemingly answered a lot of those questions. Now, I will say I am very, very afraid of how Miami handles this Texas offense because Miami has been an atrocious defensive team. Um, They are the epitome of we're going to allow 80 points, but we're going to score 85 Pretty much. And that's how they've run through this tournament. And Texas has a little bit of that recipe that we talk about. Marcus Carr, senior guard, one of the best Mm -hmm. players in America. Here's a question, though. Uh, Dylan DeSue has a bone bruise Mm -hmm. from, uh, what was it, Friday's game? Yes. And as of right now, game time decision for Dylan DeSue. If he doesn't go... Boy, does Miami look a whole lot more appetizing. Well, and I've seen a couple of expert picks start to come in on Miami. I wonder if they know he's not going to play in this game. And all of a sudden, you're trimming a lot of height. And it's not like Miami's a big team, but they are a physical interior team that can jump out of the gym as well. Like They've got guards that can rebound like threes and fours out there. Yeah, so that's... It's going to be interesting to see. It's the game that I look at today, and I'm just excited to watch it. There have mm-hmm. been a few of those. Like I, Selfishly, for pools and various things mm-hmm. that I'm in, I would like a Texas win because mm-hmm. it gives me an opportunity to win money. But this is one of those games where you're going to see two kind of styles where Texas it plays physical, but they're so good offensively, and Miami's just all speed. And I'm excited to see how that plays out. Yes, I, I look at... Yeah, I mean, the the pace of this game is certainly going to be fascinating. Um, And listen, both of these teams like to get up and run. I know Miami's metrics maybe don't show that as much as as the eye test would tell you. Like Miami's average possession length, 115th in the country. They seem like a team that plays a little bit faster than that. They like to get out in transition. They like to run on you as well. Well, they Uh, also like to get into their half court early. mm -hmm. Like some of the half court offensive possessions... Can take a while, but they get into them very quickly. They get up the floor fast and then get into what they want to do. And Isaiah Wong's been great in this tournament. So I'm just fascinated to watch this game play out. And they're a team that this has sort of been a, a formula that you like to follow, too. So... Not only does Miami protect the basketball at an extremely high clip, they're top 50 in turnover percentage. That's one thing that Texas is going to try to attack them with. Defensively, they're going to try to turn Miami over. But that's tough when, A, you've got veteran guards that are athletic, that can move the ball really well, that are smart with the basketball. And on top of that, they're an elite-level offensive rebounding team. I expect a lot of that to stay the same. This is a Texas defense that really does struggle to rebound the basketball, and no Dylan DeSue potentially today even furthers that weakness of theirs. And I think that if Miami can create those second, third, fourth opportunities, like that's how they beat 
Indiana early yeah. on in the tournament. They they got third, fourth, fifth opportunities, yeah. and it usually ended in a three-point shot. That's really what you're looking for. Like, if you're out there trying to bet these games, because like Tyler mentioned, we have five college basketball games left this season. If you're trying to bet on these, what I would say is watch and, and hope. Like, if, if Disu plays... I would bet Texas. If he doesn't, I would bet Miami. Mm-hmm. That's how I would look at this right now. The one problem is you may need to get that in sooner rather than later as well. Um, but the other thing that's so impressive to me about Miami is the fact that they shoot 37% from three and are as good of an re- offensive rebounding team as they are. Like If you give them two opportunities on a possession, chances are they're finding the bottom of the bucket. And they're just a hyper-efficient offensive yeah. team. They're the number six offense in the country, according to Ken Palm. Like, the way that they've gone about their business, and again, the defense is going to struggle, I'd imagine, in this game. But, I mean, you look at some of the, the teams that they've gone up against. They've gone up against some pretty damn good offenses so far and have allowed 56, 69, and 75 through their first three games. Yeah, I mean, they, you can't say enough about how well they've played. And part of that is... Indiana didn't shoot the ball especially well, eight of twenty-five from three in that game. But it, part of that is Miami's ability to defend the three-point line. They've got and, length on yeah, the perimeter that, as well. Like I mentioned, I keep saying how excited I am to watch this game, and I, I think part of the storyline is going to be what does this mean for Rodney Terry. Mm-hmm. I don't think that it means anything. I don't think a win today is going to be the difference. Like we've talked about, there aren't that many names left. And so Texas, with what Rodney Terry's been able to do, that should just be his job. And maybe it's a shorter contract, too. If you're Texas, you, you want to give yourself some flexibility since he, he took you far enough to... And listen, if he goes out and has another spectacular season next year, then he'll be there for the long term, no doubt about it. Um, but I think he's done a fantastic job, certainly deserves this head coaching job. I don't know what's taken so long to remove the interim tag. This guy needs to be your head coach moving forward because what he has done for this Texas program is nothing short of spectacular. You know, he already has more wins in a season at Texas. And again, he's been working on an interim basis, but he has more wins in a season than any of Shaka Smart's best seasons at Texas. Like, that's how good of a year it's been for Rodney Terry. That is impressive. Uh, Creighton, San Diego State, just quickly. San Diego State, we've talked about that Virginia light. Mm -hmm. Uh, They slow the ball down. They're going to play defense, not super efficient offensively. Mm -hmm. Yeah, pack line. Creighton, like I keep saying, it feels like San Diego State is just meeting too much of an opponent. It felt like that against Alabama. They were able to win against Mm -hmm. Alabama, even in a game that was played at a higher pace. Yeah. What does Creighton have to do to get past this pack line defense and have the actually win this game and make a trip to the final four? Well, this is, I mean, you look at Creighton, they're a hyper efficient team from inside the paint. And that almost worries me a little bit because what are the pack line principles? You're not going to let a lot of things penetrate on the inside. And Creighton, right now, from from two point, is top 20 in the country. I think you got to draw some fouls. You got to try to foul this San Diego State team out a little bit here because, and listen, San Diego State's a deep team. They play nine, 10 guys usually night to night. But on the other side, Creighton, you're going to have the advantage in pretty much every single regard because you're just the more talented team. You've got a veteran. And I think having a six, seven point guard like they do in Baylor Shireman, that to me is certainly going to help them out as a guy that, can kind of maneuver on the inside. Sometimes 
teams with pack line principles can struggle against bigger guards. Like, and I know I've brought up Syracuse a lot, but Syracuse has had success against Virginia yeah. when they've had bigger guards. Yeah. And I think you could see something very similar in this game with Shireman at six foot seven. If he's handling the basketball inside the three point arc, he could set up a lot of a lot of intriguing things. And listen, you've got a seven foot one center that can step out and hit some threes too with Ryan Kalkbrenner. And you're going to have a tremendous height advantage as well with Kalkbrenner, too, and also Fred King. So I think if, if this Creighton team kind of uses their height to their advantage, 6'7 guard, 7'1 center, that could be the formula right there. Well, outside of the NC State game, they've shot the ball very well from three. They shot mm-hmm. the lights out against Baylor. So that that could play into it. If they're getting open looks against the pack line, then San Diego State could be in trouble as long as Creighton hits their shots. You mentioned needing to draw fouls. Creighton not good at that. They don't get to the free throw line often. The plus is they also don't give up a lot of fouls. Mm-hmm. They're not letting you get to the stripe often either. And that's going to be even more emphasized against a slow team like San Diego State. If they can force this game to be decided at the free throw line, I think Creighton wins going away. And the other thing, too, is like... San Diego State has success when they can sort of bog down these fast-playing teams. Creighton isn't necessarily a team that's going to try to run on you. They can run on you if they want to. But where you start to see San Diego State have some hiccups is against teams of Creighton's caliber that they can slow the – they can play at any pace. Yeah, And I don't think San Diego State – is used to that. I don't think they're going to be very comfortable with that. And I think that could ultimately be a problem for this team. Uh, coming up next, we're going to talk with Ken Lavica, the voice of the Florida Atlantic Owls, the Cinderella story, the best story of the tournament so far. FAU is heading to the final four and we almost did not have a final call yesterday on the radio side. We'll Incredible. talk to Ken Lavica, voice of the Owls and our teammate down at ESPN West Palm coming up next. It's basketball. You Tyler Rocky and Shay Norling here on ESPN 1000. <laughs> ESPN Chicago on FM 100.3 HD2, the ESPN Chicago app, and ESPN 1000. This is Basketball U. This is Chicago's home for sports. ESPN Chicago on FM 100.3 HD2, the ESPN Chicago app, and ESPN 1000. Kansas State doesn't have any timeouts. The inbound from Sills. Here comes Noel up the near side, left front court. Three seconds now, two. Noel throws in Masood. High right. It's stepped away by Davis. He stole it. Florida Atlantic. Florida Atlantic is going to the Final Four. One of the most improbable stories in college basketball history has just played out in New York City. Houston, you have a problem. Florida Atlantic is coming to town looking for a trophy. Florida Atlantic 79, Kansas State 76. FAU is going to the Final Four. That was the call on Fox Sports 640 South Florida with the voice of the Owls, Ken Lavica, one of our teammates down at ESPN West Palm. You can catch him every week on ESPN West Palm from noon to 2. Tyler Rocky, Shane Norling on Basketball U. As we're joined now by Ken Lavica on the Car X Tire and Auto Hotline. And that was a call that actually almost never came to fruition. There were some technical difficulties towards the end of the broadcast there, but Ken... The voice of the Owls, a great host down at ESPN West Palm, and also a part-time electrician, joins us here on Basketball U. Good morning, Ken. Thanks so much for joining us. 
Hey, it is my pleasure. Uh, electricity, uh, IT work, I can do it all now. Give me something <laughs> and I'll go ahead and fix it even though I don't own a power tool. <laughs> Love it. So just kind of take us through. We kind of set it up a little bit there, but the power goes out on your broadcast. What was it? The internet dropped out and there was a question of whether or not you were going to get back on the air to give people maybe the greatest moment in Florida Atlantic athletics history. Yeah, it might even be the biggest moment, I think, in, in the entire institution's history. I think that here's what I, what I believe uh, was, was the setup here at Madison Square Garden. So you have media tables courtside, and they're sectioned off. There's a uh, broadcast table to either side of where the TBS broadcast is taking place. And then there's the journalists, the print media that are in a row behind it courtside. And so uh, the Ethernet, the Internet connection on my side, which was if you were watching the game to your right, uh, all of the Ethernet connections, no matter the seat, and every seat had one, went out, non-functional with 18 and 6, 10 seconds left to go in the game as Mike Forrest was head of the line for the first of what would be four free throws that he would drain. And so I'm a one-man broadcasting crew. I've been doing it that same way for 17 years. I'm fairly proficient with it, but when something like that happens and you're trying to call the game, it becomes a problem. And when there's 18 seconds left and the team you call the games for is about to go to the final four, that presents a massive issue. So I uh, started to see if maybe someone kicked the Ethernet cord away from the modem, but there's no way I was going to find that. It's a massive, massive setup there on that sideline. And uh, I ended up, after a couple of minutes, uh, or after a couple of moments, I should say, probably 45, 60 seconds, I ended up calling the studio and using that to, uh, to just call it over the phone. What saved me and got me back on the air was, was the timeout that Kansas State called after a layup following Mike Forrest's first two free throws, that gave me the time to, to pick up the equipment and to see if that second row above me had a working Internet. I couldn't the, – the cord wasn't long enough, so I had to pick up the equipment. I've got the headset on. I've got a phone tucked into my ear, all while ripping at this Internet cord that I think the people above me thought I was a complete psychopath. I plugged it <laughs> into the equipment, noticed that there was functional Internet there, and had one of my ESPN West Palm teammates, our teammates in our company, uh, Theo Dorsey, hold the piece of broadcast equipment while I called the final 15 seconds because there wasn't enough Ethernet cord to bring it back to the table, and we got the call off. I called the final part of the game and it was the most hail mary of hail marys but we pulled it off and so it's all good well that's a teammate of the year right there <laughs> no kidding yeah no doubt no doubt he's got he's got my nomination get him a carmy um when you talk <laughs> about just kind of the end of this game and how it was the comeback of all comebacks the hail mary of all hail marys for you to get that on the air what about the comeback in the game? There was a moment late in the second half. Kansas State took a seven-point lead, and it started to feel like the storybook, the chap, this is the last chapter. And then all of a sudden, FAU, a team, frankly, a lot of people haven't heard of around the country or don't know a lot about, storms back and dominates the end of this game. Just take us through kind of the emotions of this game. Yeah, so... It, it definitely felt a bit foreboding, especially as uh, you have Marquise Noel banking in threes from 37 feet. Uh, but 
this FAU team all year long. There's a reason that they're 35-3. and three. They just always find a way. Now, there haven't been too many second halves where they've been trailing, but they have found another gear in second halves when they have struggled throughout the course of the season. Think about it. Against Tennessee in the Sweet 16, FAU gets down in the second half by seven, goes on a 20-4 to run. Yesterday it was a 15-1 to run down seven. These guys always have a second-half run in them almost every single time they trail in a second half. It's one of their, their true team personality traits. And so it didn't feel great. But uh, when you have instant answers like they did, Elijah Martin, three, B.J. Greenlee, three, Vlad Golden, bucket, taking charges, forcing turnovers, that's the FAU. Nobody's been able to figure out how to keep FAU from those extended, massive kill runs all season long. And so when that started happening, you can start to get the sense, oh, here comes the landslide, and FAU had enough defensively in the end to hang on and uh, head to Houston next weekend. Ken Lavica is our guest here, voice of the Owls. You can also hear him on ESPN West Palm. Ken Lavica live, 12 to 2 Eastern, down on ESPN West Palm. You bring up how close this game was and the scare against Tennessee. You know, Shay and I were talking about this earlier with FAU. They're the only team in the tournament where you can look at every single game they've played in and say to yourself, there's a chance they could have lost that game. And you look at the Memphis game where there's the play at the end and there's the inbounds play. They were on the beneficiary side of the jump ball and the possession arrow there. Fairly Dickinson gave them a little scare. Tennessee obviously was up big. Kansas State, it looked like, as Shea mentioned, they were about to pull away. But what is it about the resiliency of this team that has led them to Houston? Well, it's because there's the balance. FAU has uh, eight scoring options, nine major scoring options in the rotation. And then you have a center in Vlad Golden who, when he's able to have a, pro- a good matchup like he did yesterday, he can go off. He had 14 and 13 yesterday. So FAU is extremely difficult to game plan for. And defensively, FAU is extremely underrated as well. They finished number one in offensive and defensive efficiency in Conference USA, which now you look at the resume based on the NIT the CBI as well. That was the singular best mid-major conference in America, period. And it's a shame that only FAU got in from the league. So Florida Atlantic went 18-2 and in the best mid-major conference in America, and that was not by accident. And I'll put it this way, with FAU's resiliency, they were underseated vastly. There's no way they should have played Memphis in the first round. That was a travesty from the selection committee to make that an 8-9 game. Memphis deserved better. FAU deserved better than having to have that as a first round matchup so that was obviously a major challenge fairly dickinson gave fau problems but fau absolutely could have uh, gone the way of purdue and not found a way in florida atlantic was able to come out on top and think about it too tennessee they definitely put a scare into fau but this is just four days after they went and handed out concussions and bullied and bloodied and battered Duke, who came out looking extremely soft, not ready for the challenge. And then it was FAU that ground Tennessee into the floor in the Sweet 16 and wore them out in the, down the stretch. And same thing with Kansas State, where you've got the best player in the tournament in FAU. Yes, he scored 30-12, and 12, but FAU made him extremely inefficient. So, yeah, 
they're resilient, but also it's all part of a game plan. And FAU, with the depth that they have, one of the things they've done all year is absolutely exhaust the po- opponent inside of five, six minutes left to go. It is the trademark of this team, and it happened again yesterday. Kansas State was gassed in the final five minutes. Ken, you brought up the Memphis FAU matchup as an 8-9. I remember with Tyler, we did this show after Selection Sunday, and we both circled Memphis, and we both circled FAU. And we this was before the Selection show. These are teams that are going to beat somebody. They're going to get underseeded, and they'll take somebody out. Then they get matched up against each other. It just felt like the ultimate unfairness. But I want to ask about this entire season, if you look at Dusty May's coaching record at FAU, he'd never won 20 games. And then all of a sudden this year, you have 35 wins, preseason fifth in Conference USA, and you go dominate the conference. You win 35 games. Uh, Like you mentioned, first in offense, first in defense in Conference USA. Here you are in the final four. Just take us through what this season has been like for you, because for us, it, it seems like the ultimate Cinderella story. Yeah, and let me give you some context on Dusty May, and I do this with great hesitancy because I certainly would like him to stay at Florida Atlantic. You know he's a hot commodity, uh, but I'm going to try and and give him here uh, a lot more credit than I think some have given him because I have definitely heard the narrative, oh, hadn't won 20 games, and this is not this is not me being uh, coming off his brash. It's just I obviously know a lot of the storylines circulating around him. Florida Atlantic since 2002, the last time and the only other time they went to the NCAA tournament when they won the Atlantic Sun, they had two winning, two winning seasons above 500 from 2002 to 2018 when Dusty May took over. So Dusty May has strung together five winning seasons in a row. He's never had a losing season, which in and of itself with a program like the one he inherited at FAU is a minor miracle. And then uh, it was incremental progress every single year. It was above 500, 8 and 10 in Conference USA. Above 500, more wins, but still 8 and 10 in Conference USA. The next year, finished above 500 in Conference USA. Last year, 19 wins, won again in the Conference USA tournament, got knocked out by the eventual champions. And then this core is finally found a way. FAU, by the way, was 0 and 8 2 last year uh, when it came to games 4 points or less. That's completely turned on its head this season. So a little bit of luck goes FAU's way last year. We're talking about a 23-24 win team. Certainly 35-3 and is absolute insanity, and it's one of the greatest college basketball seasons of all time, not just FAU. But Florida Atlantic has really made a lot of its own breaks. It showed up late in that Memphis game. And to follow this, to be a part of this, where this team just constantly finds a way. They're so fundamentally sound. Guys, they, in a Sweet 16 game yesterday, were plus 22 on the boards with one of the smallest lineups in the NCAA tournament other than 7-1 Vlad Golden. That's insane. It's because they have some of the best guard play in the tournament and to see these guys go to see these guys work there's such cohesion it has been awesome all season long they just work last night they wanted to sit down for a moment and watch some film from last night's game and the coaches had to save them from themselves these guys just get after it total pro approach Ken Lavica, voice of the FAU Owls, continuing to dance here in the NCAA tournament. Also, you can find him on ESPN West Palm, 12 to 2 Eastern, Ken Lavica Live. So, Ken, b- before we let you go here, you brought up Dusty May, and we know how this works in college athletics. I heard Jeff Goodman say that FAU is the toughest job in Conference USA, and for him to go out and go 35-3 and this season with still work to do, 
it looks like he probably isn't long for FAU. But Shay and I were talking a little bit before the the show. He may have coached too well this season to get a job because the the coaching well is drying up. Yeah, I actually, it's funny you mentioned that, Tyler, because I actually had someone bring that up to me down in South Florida last night or text me, hey, uh, is this actually good for FAU, this deep run, this exposure, because the jobs have already been gobbled up, and I didn't know how to answer that. So it, it definitely is a great question. I'm sure that there are plenty of schools or a couple of schools that are still holding off um, I don't know about any discussions. I definitely don't ask Dusty May about any discussions he has outside of FAU. What I will say about this is that you guys remember Rick Pitino in every single press conference he did from Iona's conference tournament through the NCAA tournament. It was basically like Rick Pitino's new job press conference. All he did was answer questions about what he was going to do next season. And I thought it was extremely unbecoming of him, and it was unfair to the kids. Dusty May has not allowed himself to entertain one singular question about his future, um, uh, anything past this year, if he's looking outside of Boca Raton, and I have great respect for him for that and for a number of reasons for that in particular because he's never even given the indication that he is side-eyeing anywhere else uh so i i I think that it's been one singular focus for him obviously everybody is aware of how the college landscape works but as it stands right now I, i just i don't have a feel for it at all what would be happening with him and i think that's a credit to him because he has played it straight this entire time Ken Lavica, voice of the Owls, thanks so much for joining us on Basketball U and enjoy the rest of the ride here. You got it, guys. Appreciate you. Thank you. Basketball, thanks, Ken. Basketball U continues next here on ESPN 1000. ESPN Chicago on FM 100.3 HD2, the ESPN Chicago app, and ESPN 1000. This is Basketball U. This is Chicago's home for sports. ESPN Chicago on FM 100.3 HD2. The ESPN Chicago app and ESPN 1000. Great stuff with Ken Lavica, voice of the Owls. What a run it must be to be a local radio guy on the Cinderella run. And this is why it strikes me, because I remember Loyola from a couple years ago going on that miraculous Final Four run. They didn't have radio. They were not on a local station. And they didn't even, I don't even think they had an internet feed either. It was just, there was no local call of Loyola. They had a local television call. Well, that's with Jordan Burnfield and and of course uh, JD as well um, on the television side. But that obviously goes out the window once you get to the NCAA tournament. That's Ken talking about being a one man band too, like the the lone person on the broadcast. He's the play by play. He's the color commentator. He's the engineer. He's mm-hmm. running cable. He's yeah. fixing the Ethernet when it goes out. Yep. So it just goes to show, like, yeah, they have a radio broadcast, but it's Ken Lavica doing every job on the radio broadcast. And as we know, there's a lot of work that goes into it. So huge for him. Really cool to see Florida Atlantic still playing. Yeah. And Matt Norlander, great CBS college basketball insider and podcast host as well over there. He tweeted out the picture of Ken yesterday where I first saw that his connection went out. 
Um, and it's a picture of him. And, and Ken's got the, all the Final Four gear on already. He got the hat. Yeah. He's got the shirt on. And he's talking with head coach Dusty May. And Surprised not drenched in champagne. Yeah, exactly. That, that He's one step away there from uh, the full party. But he's sitting there. And I guess Dusty May, after the game, gave him like a 30-minute interview after. The longest interview of the night. Um, and, and Dusty May joining Ken just to to talk about the emotions of going to the final four. Um, but Matt was the one that tweeted it out and that's where I first saw it. And he, he says, uh, Ken Levicka FAAU radio is a one guy operation, worked his ass off on the game, lost connection in the closing minutes only to get back online in the final 30 seconds. Dusty giving him the longest interview of the night and rightfully so. Ken Levicka, by the way, he, we mentioned he's our teammate at ESPN West Palm. He's a, a Chicago area guy. Yeah. He, uh, we he has done some work with this station too, with White Sox Weekly in the past as well. Yep. So, um, great guy, great to have him on, and, and great to have the story of Florida Atlantic continuing to march along. But that kind of li- lends us to the question now. All right, we've got two of the four Final Four teams set. We've got FAU, we've got UConn, and then you're going to get some combination of two of the following four. Creighton, San Diego State, Miami, and Texas. And I ask you, Shay, has the upset bit gone too far? Has the bit gone too far at we this have point? Jumped the we shark. have an absolute tournament of chaos. There has not been a number one seed in the Elite Eight for the first time ever. Has the bit gone too far? Is this bad for the sport that we are going to get from a brand standpoint, a probably lackluster Final Four? Bad for the sport, I think. No, I think it's incredible that you look at the Elite Eight. We are still in the Elite Eight. The Final Four is not set, and we are guaranteed one side of the national championship game will either be a six, five, or nine seed. Yeah. That, that's insane. Um, I, I look at, dude, I think this is just the future of the sport, where mm-hmm. at some point we're going to have to toss out the numbers next to these teams when we're talking about who can win what. Uh, it doesn't matter if you're seated four like UConn, if you're seated nine like FAU, six, five, whatever. What matters is how well you're playing now, how talented is your team, what gauntlet did you go through, like we're seeing with Creighton and UConn, getting through a Big East gauntlet mm-hmm. and then getting here and kind of feel, feeling freed up to play their best basketball. I also think this is the ultimate extreme of what's been happening in the sport for the last 10 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, you look at it going into 2012 in the history of the tournament, four 15 seeds ever had upset a two seed. It happened in 91, 93, 97, and 01. It didn't happen again until 2012 when Lehigh beat Duke in one of the most shocking tournament games ever. That was the first of seven in the last 10 years, seven times a 15 has beaten a two in the last 10 years. It happened four times ever until 2012. It's just the the craziness of this tournament now, and I think you're seeing everything sort of consolidated. And, and we've brought this up when we talk about the 15-2 upset. Like, the average basketball player now is so much better than the average basketball player 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, because it's a 12-month sport now. You're not seeing as many of these multi-sport athletes, and that's not to say that multi-sport athletes are bad. In fact, they are great in terms of building the overall athlete and training 
with the cross training that you get with it all. But the average athlete is so damn good. The average athlete can make three-pointers at a high clip. The average athlete is just that much better these days to the point. And again, it's just kind of the iron sharpens iron mentality. Like it's just going to naturally get better year after year after year. And those guys are now playing on the Florida Atlantics, the Princeton's, the uh, Fairleigh Dickinson's. Those guys are on those teams now. Guys that probably 10, 20 years ago would be considered top 200 players in their recruiting classes. Now they're in the top or they're outside maybe the top 300 just because the average athlete's so much better. Yeah, I think that we've seen the floor rise so much. And that's part of where like people keep talking about if this tournament's better or worse. I don't feel like it's changed in any way for me. The tournament is the tournament. There's upsets, there's madness, there's basketball. The one thing I would say is I would probably feel worse about this tournament if there weren't a great team in the Final Four. Like if we had a truly lackluster Final Four where it's just mediocre teams, there's nobody that's really great, nobody that's... uh, standing out as one of the great teams in college basketball. It just happened that the best teams lost and were stuck with kind of average. I felt like the one seeds this year were a little lower, but that's partly because UConn maybe should have been one of them. Like UConn being as dominant and as great as they have been has kept this tournament really entertaining to me because I like to see greatness at the end, and I feel like UConn is that. Like if there weren't a great team in the Final Four, I'd be a little burned off of this but watching this UConn run and then watching the excitement of FAU as a Cinderella and we'll see what happens with Creighton San Diego State and then Texas and Miami today but I think with UConn in there I'm still able to buy in because we're seeing great basketball Mm -hmm. along with the upsets and it shouldn't come as that big of a surprise either like you look at some of these teams, and UConn's maybe the exception, honestly, but they're playing better than anybody right now, and they were playing better than anybody. They had risen to as high as number two in the, the AP poll this year. But like Creighton, they're playing for a chance to go to the Final Four. They were preseason number nine. They were a team that I was very yeah. high on at the beginning of the year. Thought they had the best starting five in all college basketball. Texas, preseason number 12. They've got a chance to go to the Final Four here. Uh, San Diego State, preseason number 19. So, like, we're not uh, – and listen, FAU, sure, out of left field. No one saw that coming, and they put together a hell of a season. But, but they're also not, like, the 50th team in the country that's no. just lucked into some games. Six of the te- – or five of the six teams left are in the top 25. And Miami, the, the bringing up the rear, is 26. Mm-hmm. So it's not like you're going way out into left field here. These are good teams. One last thing I want to get to here before, I, and then we can evaluate some of the, the tournament odds. We'll do that coming up in a little bit. But these were some comments from De'Aaron Fox talking about the NCAA tournament. He was asked about, oh, have you been watching the NCAA tournament? And he went on to say, I can't watch a full college game. It's hard. Just the shot making is obviously not at the pro level. The refs are bad. A lot of the coaching is really bad. I can't stand it. Here's what I would say to De'Aaron Fox and to anybody who kind of claps at the notion of college basketball being bad. We don't watch college basketball because it is a better level of basketball than the pros. There's a reason they're paid professionals, right? And these guys are not amateurs anymore, but they are at a lower level. There's a reason. It's because it is a full year long training. It is your personal job to be 
a professional basketball player. Yeah, it's going to be worse. No, we don't watch it for that. We watch it for the entertainment. And the college game is a hell of an entertainment process that's going on right now. There's something to be said about watching college sports. And one of my favorite things, you will see... 20 to 25 year old kids do the dumbest things you've yes. ever seen. Hey, Clark, we saw it. That's entertaining. Kendrick Davis, we saw it. You get to see humans be humans. That's entertaining. Like, we've talked about Tyler off the air. Pro sports, sometimes you're too good. Yes. You rarely, like the NFL, there are moments that stick out, like the butt fumble, where it's just that was asinine, but mm. it's rare. It's rare in the NBA that you see somebody do a truly stupid thing. Um, Jaden Ivey, I think, used an extra timeout this year yes. and lost a game mm-hmm. against the Bulls. Yeah. That was dumb. But you see that very rarely. In college, it happened in a national title game. That's entertainment. Yeah. You can't buy stuff like that. <laughs> and that's why I think it's great. And it's it's the product, I, I think, overall, the enjoyment and the drama of the NCAA tournament, because it does dial up. And I think once you get to the Elite Eight, the coaching is good. The coaching is fantastic pretty much across the board. Typically, you, yeah. You look at the teams that are left standing right now, Matt Dutcher over at, or Brian Dutcher at San Diego State. You've got Greg McDermott. you got Rodney Terry, Jim Laranega. You've got Dusty May, even Jerome Tang, who he beat, Bob, or Dan Hurley, and then Mark Few, like. That is an elite group of coaches there. And we're going to have a first-time national champion. Yes, and it's going to be fantastic, and I can't wait for the Final Four. All right, coming up next, we're going to explore some of the title odds that we've got brewing up right now. Basketball U will be right back on ESPN 1000. This is ESPN Chicago, Chicago's home for sports. This is Basketball U. This is Chicago's home for sports. ESPN Chicago on FM 100.3 HD2. The ESPN Chicago app and ESPN 1000. ESPN 1000, a reminder next week, we're usually on 11 to 1. We'll be on 9 to 11 next week here, talking all things college basketball. We'll be recapping some final four games and previewing the national championship for the next day. Can't wait to do that next week right here on Basketball U. Again, next week, 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. right here on ESPN 1000. All right, let's take a look at some of the odds, Shay. For the national championship. And again, we're kind of in that in-between right now because we're in-between rounds. Some teams already yeah. through to the Final Four. But I think this is when you can find yourself a little bit of value at times trying to pick a national champion. So as we look at today's games, we've got Texas as a three-and-a-half-point favorite against Miami. Creighton as a two-and-a-half-point favorite against San Diego State, all of that according to FanDuel right now. But as we look at the futures market, UConn, by far and away the favorite right now at plus 120, and rightfully so, makes a lot of sense. You've got Texas at 4-1, to one, Creighton at plus 450, FAU at plus 650, San Diego State at 10-1, to one, Miami at 12-1, to one. Does anything catch your eye from a value standpoint here? Yeah, UConn. Plus 120. (laughs) Honest to God, it feels like you're getting value. I feel like they should be a minus money favorite. And the fact that they're not, even at plus 120 and even as the favorite, I feel like you still get value. Tyler, if I told you right now, 
UConn will not win the national championship, would you be surprised? I don't know if I'd necessarily be surprised because they could play Creighton. And Creighton's a team that's already beaten them this year. There's the familiarity. They'll be facing off for the third time this season. They split their regular season, and they were both very competitive games as well. Creighton lost one on the road. Creighton won one at home. They were both close games. Nine-point loss, but that game, I remember watching it. It was a little bit closer than the nine points. We'll probably tell you there. I just think that those that's the one matchup to me that I can see UConn fall. To be honest, I could see him losing to Texas, too. I really could. Like, Texas is a great team. I just, I want to go back to this. I brought it up in the first hour. UConn is the fifth team since 2000 to have a plus 90-point differential through its first four tournament games. The other teams that have done this, 2021 Gonzaga, did not win the national title, but they played a one seed with Davion Mitchell with NBA players on Baylor. 09 UConn did this. They lost to 09 North Carolina, one of the all-time great teams in the history of college basketball. Mm -hmm. And 08 North Carolina did this. They lost to a one seed in Kansas, led by Mario Chalmers, that was the eventual national champion. Mm -hmm. So the the reason I bring all that up, UConn is one of these five teams to ever do this, and I understand that three of the four others did not win the national championship. There ain't a team in this tournament that is on the level of the teams that beat these teams. There, There is no Mario Chalmers, Kansas. There is no uh, Davion Mitchell, Baylor. There certainly is no Tyler Hansbrough, North Carolina. But there's a team like Miami that could just shoot the lights out on you, too. Like, if Miami goes out and goes nuclear and shoots 55% from three in a game against UConn, how's UConn going to respond to that? What happens when the UConn well maybe goes a little bit drier from three? Listen, I would take UConn. I just don't know if plus 120 is my cup of tea right now. I would just, I feel like I they should be minus wait. money. Well, yeah, you could wait because it I may lengthen. I wait because if Texas wins today, those odds probably do lengthen. The other one that stands out and you brought him up is Creighton. I think you actually get a little, va- like, it's crazy to me that we're talking I'm sitting about. sitting on my 40 to 1 right now on <laughs> Creighton from the preseason. Great bet. It's crazy to me that we're talking about Creighton as a potential national champion. I know. But With Greg McDermott, are. father of Doug McDermott, still plugging away as the head coach. In this tournament, I mean, we talked about it a little bit. FAU at 650, like if you just like the run, there's no reason why this can't be the year one of these Butler-style Cinderella's makes it and actually wins. Because there's also no Duke waiting for FAU at the end of this. Right. As good as UConn is, there's no all-time Duke team waiting for them. No. There, there isn't on the other side. The other team that I would maybe take a look at, and again, I don't think they win today, but I think the values there from a path standpoint, I, I, honestly, I, I would probably lay a little on both Creighton and San Diego State because from a path standpoint, I think either one of those teams handles Florida Atlantic. Listen, it's been a great run for FAU, but I think the winner of Creighton, San Diego State is going to represent the left side of the bracket in the championship. And if you've got a San Diego State at 10 to 1, if you've got a Creighton at 4.5 to 1 right now, I think there's a little bit of value right there. Yeah, I, I especially think so with Creighton, just because I think Creighton is going to beat San Diego State today. They've shot so well in this tournament, aside from the NC State game. And San Diego State with that pack line defense will 
leave open shots for them. I like Creighton a lot today. So I think if I'm betting the future market and I'm getting in late, you got to be aware you're getting in late right now. Yeah. It's UConn or Creighton for yep. me. All right. That's going to do it for us here on Basketball U. Again, reminder, we'll be back 9 to 11 a.m. on ESPN 1000 next Sunday, breaking down the Final Four and National Championship. We'll talk to you next week. This is Chicago's home for sports, ESPN Chicago.